Welcome to 166 Podcast, and the 136th is a city on a hill church. The first two commandments tell us that the God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, the God of Israel, the God of the born from above, born again, Christian church, is to be preeminent in our lives. We're to have no other gods before him. We're to put nothing, living or inanimate, on his throne. Anything we might put there is an idol, and we're to have none of those. Taking his message from Isaiah 2, 6-9, and 20-21, through 21, Pastor Mike gives us a message laced with both warning and blessing, a message we all need to hear, casting down our idols. Here is Pastor Michael Clark. Isaiah chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 6 through 9, and then we're going to jump to verses 20 to 21. So Isaiah chapter 2, verse 6 says this, For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines. And they are pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is also full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. People bow down, and each man humbles himself. Therefore, do not forgive them. And he's speaking of bowing down before their idols, humbling themselves not before God, but before the foreign gods, the idols. You skip to verse 20, and we read this. In that day, a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made, each for himself to worship, to the moles and the bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks, from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty when He arises to shake the earth mightily. And so I've entitled this message, Casting Down Our Idols. Casting Down Our Idols. Now, the problem of idolatry among God's people Israel and the nation of Judah here specifically with Isaiah the prophet uh, to Judah, uh, the problem of idolatry among God's people really was always a problem uh, throughout their history for the children of Israel. And really, uh, an idol is anything that you put in the place of God, anything that you put ahead of God, uh, the worship of anything or anyone uh, becomes an idol when you worship it, when you uh, uh, live for it, when you seek to please it, and you love it with all of your heart, your master passion. These are idols, and they become idols. Now, God had uh, basically uh, instituted from the very beginning, codified in, in the Ten Commandments in the law, uh, that they were not to worship idols. God's people were not to worship any idol, no other God except for Him. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1, God spoke all these words saying, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. And so those are actually the first two commandments of God of the Ten Commandments, the first two commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make for yourself a carved image to bow down and to worship of anything, anything, he says, uh, in the heaven above, the earth beneath, in the water or under the earth. That includes everything that we would come in contact with in our lives. He says you're not to worship anything and or anyone other than me. And it's interesting that God speaks about himself as a jealous God in verse 5. He says you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And people say, well, isn't, isn't jealousy wrong? Isn't jealousy a sin? Well, for us it is. Uh, but God's jealousy, he's not jealous of us. He doesn't want what we have. When we're jealous of somebody, it's because we want what they have. We're coveting what they have or we're envious. God doesn't want anything from you. He doesn't want anything from me. He already uh, owns everything. He created it all. And so when God says he's jealous, it's more like a, a father being jealous over his little daughter, his little girl, or a husband, husband being jealous for his, his young bride that he wants to protect her. He wants to keep her safe. He wants the best for her. Uh, God is not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. He wants what's best for you. And the best thing for us is to worship God. And God knows this, that if we worship other gods, uh, these other gods will take us away uh, from the true and living God and ultimately uh, will lead us uh, to, to hell and to death. And so God says, I'm jealous for you. I'm a jealous God. Uh, do not worship any other gods besides me. And you know that immediately after God gave this commandment, Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and what were they doing? They were worshiping a false god already. Uh, they had barely gotten out of Egypt, and they were already going back to worship the gods of the Egyptians. They made a golden calf, and they began to dance around it and to worship this golden calf. And you remember Moses came down, and he broke the Ten Commandments uh, when he saw that they were worshiping the calf, and 3,000 were killed that day uh, as a result of them worshiping this golden calf. So it was really in their hearts from the time that they had spent in Egypt, the 400 years plus that they were there in Egypt, they became immersed into the idolatry of the Egyptian uh, pantheon, all of their gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And so uh, this was a problem from the beginning for the nation of Israel, for the children of Israel. And it really was a problem all the way through their history, uh, at least until they went into Babylon and the Babylonian captivity. In Isaiah chapter 44, uh, Isaiah later in his uh, prophecy says this in verse 9. You're welcome to turn there if you want. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 9. 
And so Isaiah says this about idolatry. He says, those who make an image, all of them are useless and their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. 44.10 Who would form a God or mold an image that profits Him nothing? Surely all His companions would be ashamed, and the workmen, they are mere men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. The blacksmith with the tongs works one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, and works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks one out with chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks it out with a compass, and he makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. He cuts down cedars for himself, and he takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine, and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image, and he falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself. And he says, ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his carved image. He falls down before it and he worships it. And he prays to it and he says, deliver me, for you are my god. They do not know nor understand for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? Verse 20, he feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? And so it is the uh, uh, utter foolishness of worshiping a piece of wood that they would, they would have a tree, cut it down, chop it up, make a fire out of it, cook their meal and eat their meal and warm themselves and then create a God out of that same wood and bow down before it and worship it and pray to it. It's utter folly. And yet he's saying they're they're blinded. They don't know. They don't understand. For he, God, has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts so that they cannot understand. Uh, Because really, uh, a man becomes like his God. A man becomes like that which he worships. In the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 14, in verses 3 to 8, Ezekiel speaks about idols in our hearts or idols of the heart. Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 3. He says, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. 
and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity? Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Verse 4, Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart because they are all estranged from me by their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all of your abominations. For anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel who separates himself from me and sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people. Then you shall know that I am the Lord." And so again, this is something that uh, Israel was dealing with uh, sort of throughout their whole history that they, uh, you know, from the time of, of Moses all the way the, to the time of uh, Isaiah and then uh, Ezekiel, and then we're going to see here in Jeremiah, it was the same problem. They kept going after the other gods and worshiping uh, the other gods of the lands. They were supposed to tell all of the pagan tribal peoples, all of the uh, pagans who are worshiping all these false gods, they were supposed to tell them about the true God, the true and the living God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And rather than sharing uh, the love of God and the light of God and the word of God with these pagans, instead they lusted after their gods and they went after their gods to worship them. One more scripture on this, uh, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 3. I'll read it to you. Jeremiah says this about the idolatry in Judah. He says, For the customs of the peoples are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple over. They are upright like a palm tree and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. They can't walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. And we know that the idols were more than just the statues that were being worshipped. There were powers. There were spirits behind the statues. Uh, and in the book of Psalms, the psalmist would say that they offered their children to these idols. They sacrificed their children to these false gods and they sacrificed their children, it says, to devils or to demons. And so although it is a block of wood or it's a piece of marble or what have you, a little statue uh, that they were worshiping, it, there was a power behind that uh, icon or that statue. The statue itself couldn't speak. It couldn't hear. It couldn't walk, although uh, it looked like a little person. They had eyes and the little statue has ears. The little statue has a mouth. Often it has arms and feet, but they have to carry it around. It can't walk even though it's got feet. It can't see even though it's got eyes. And it cannot hear even though it has little ears that are carved into it. 
Again, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm chapter 135, the psalmist tells us this about worshiping these idols. Psalm 135 verse 15. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths, and those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Psalm 115 also tells us this, that these little gods, people who worship these gods, become like them. Those who worship them will be like them, he says. Those who trust in them. It's interesting that man likes to make gods in his own image. Often, even though the, the image is perhaps twisted or it's, it's not a very necessarily good image, they make a, a god in the image of themselves and then they bow down and they worship uh, this god. And, and oftentimes, even uh, in the modern age, in the modern day, although we may not fall down before and worship a little statue or a little block of wood or a little uh, piece of carved marble, uh, people still create gods in their own image and they worship those gods. I mean, you, you know this. Uh, many times people will say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I don't think he's the only way to heaven. I think that there's, you know, any number of roads that lead to God. And all of these people who worship all of these gods all over the world, as long as they're very sincere in their worship of their God, as long as they really truly uh, are sincere about their faith, then that's a pathway or a road uh, to heaven. In other words, Jesus is not the only way, they say. Uh, well, that's, that's simply not true. Jesus said he is the only way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And so people don't like that exclusivity of Jesus Christ. They don't like the fact that Jesus is the only way. So they say, I'm going to reject Jesus. I'm going to reject the word of Jesus Christ and the word of God. And I'm going to invent a God that's just like me. In other words, I think God should let every sincere person into heaven. So then, then they say, that's what I believe. Or I think that all of the religious books of the world are true, whether you're Hindu or Buddhist or Christian or uh, Islam or, uh, you know, you're a Mormon or you're a Jehovah's Witness or whatever. They say, I think that all of these religions are true. Uh, and so they begin to create a God that's in their own image. They may say, uh, perhaps they like their, uh, their beers and their cigarettes. And they say, well, I, I think God would be okay with drinking a 12 pack. I think God would be okay with, you know, smoking a couple packs of cigarettes a day. I, I don't really think that God, but God sure hates, you know, child molesters and God sure, uh, you know, Hitler sure deserves to go to hell for what he did to the Jews. But I think God's okay with a 12 pack and, and, and a, pa a pack of cigarettes. Why? Because that's what you like. You like your 12 pack and you like your pack of cigarettes. And so, uh, it, you begin to form and shape a God in your own image. And then you worship the God that you have created in your own image. So really, nothing has changed. Man still does the same thing. They say, I don't want the God of the Bible. I don't want to have to submit to him. I don't want to have to do what he says. I don't want to have to follow his rules. So therefore, I'm going to create my own religion. I'm going to create my own God that is just like me, acts like me, talks like me, thinks like me, and then I'm going to worship 
that God who I have made in my own image. Now, throughout history, man has worshipped gods that typically represent uh, uh, several things. Ancient man didn't understand uh, sexual reproduction, really didn't understand how, how it worked, where do babies come from, that sort of a thing. But it was a miracle. It was, it was something that all of a sudden you have a man and a woman. Next thing you know, you have a baby and that's like creating life. And there's, there's a new life as a result of these two people coming together in marriage. And they didn't understand the biology. They didn't understand the science behind it, but they knew that somehow it was, it was significant to bring children into the world. And so they began to worship gods and goddesses of reproductive uh, uh, bio- biology. They began to worship Ashtoreth. Uh, they began to worship Venus. They began to worship Aphrodite or Diana. All of these goddesses or gods are gods and goddesses of fertility or reproduction. And so people thought, hey, you know, if you want a kid, maybe you have to worship this God of fertility. Uh, and, and oftentimes they would even offer human sacrifices uh, to these gods in order to be blessed, quote unquote, with a big family or with many children. So they worshiped uh, sex and they worshiped uh, um, fertility. They also would worship pleasure and live for pleasure, sort of hedonism, uh, where, you know, um, I, I want to set up a God uh, and I'll worship this God of pleasure because, uh, you know, I think that the whole point of life is to, is to be a thrill seeker and to have fun and to just live for the moment and do whatever I want. And so they would create a God uh, called Molech uh, and they would worship Molech, the God of pleasure. Uh, they would worship the intellect and they would worship wisdom and knowledge. Uh, and, and they would worship, uh, the, the study and the search for truth. And they would spend their whole lives studying and re- reading everything they can get their hands on, trying to be smarter and smarter and more and more educated, more and more intellectual. Because as you know, knowledge is power. And so they created a God called Baal or Baal, which was the, the worship of knowledge or wisdom or of the intellect. And they would worship power. Because once you have power, you have influence. And once you have influence, you could create your own world, as it were. Look at all the dictators throughout history who had total power. Uh, and so they would worship power, which money is power. If you have money, you have power. If you have gold, uh, you will be in charge. He who has the gold will rule in, in the world system. The golden rule is he who has the most gold rules. Not love uh, your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, the Chinese uh, uh, say that uh, fire will test the gold and that gold will test the hearts of man. And so, you know, people will do anything. They'll, they'll sell their souls for wealth and for the power that that money will bring them. And, and so they created a god called Mammon, who is the god of power or a god uh, of money. And so they would make their, uh, they would make their little idols and worship their idols. But the reality is, is that 
when you begin to worship anything or anyone other than the true and living God, you're never satisfied. In other words, if you decide you want to make your life about pleasure and about uh, uh, satisfying your flesh and just trying to always just uh, live uh, for the moment in, in the hedonism of trying to please yourself, the reality is, is that you become a glutton. You want to feed your flesh, your flesh appetites will just expand. They'll just get bigger. Have you ever seen a drug addict? It's never enough. They always need more drugs or an alcoholic or someone who's addicted to pornography or to sex. Uh, anything where uh, you begin to seek after pleasure and you're living for pleasure, uh, you will never be satisfied. It's always something more, something new, something different because everything else wears off like the new car. The new car smell wears off after a few months and it doesn't feel like a new car anymore. So you start looking at another new car. And so it's never, you're never fully satisfied. And, and so the pleasure that you're seeking, you never really attain. It's fleeting if you make pleasure your God. If you serve money, if you serve power, if you, you know, decide that, that I'm just going to make a billion dollars or a million dollars or a hundred million dollars and I'll do anything so that I could be rich, so that I could have money. Uh, in reality, you become a slave to your possessions. You know, the more that you have, the more you have to maintain. The more that you own, the more you have to manage and you have to oversee. And oftentimes people go into tremendous debt in order to acquire uh, things and assets. And you become a slave to your things. The God you worship enslaves you in the end. Uh, for people who... Uh, go after lust and they're looking for, you know, sexual experimentation and, and, and sexual experiences and so forth. It just becomes more and more dark and more and more perverted in order for them to find satisfaction. They, they, they go into this, uh, uh, pit as it were of darkness and perversion, twistedness because uh, you know, it, it doesn't satisfy them anymore. They, they're always looking for a new thrill and things get weirder and weirder and weirder. I remember reading an article about this uh, news reporter. I think that he was actually a weather reporter in Orange County. Orange County, fairly conservative place. This is recently, a few months ago. And he uh, he was found dead in a hotel room. Uh, and I don't remember all the specifics, but basically... Uh, on on the surface, he put a, he put forth an appearance of being a family man and you know a, a weatherman and all of these things. Well, in reality, he was a a closeted homosexual, and he was paying male prostitutes to go and to do drugs and to you know do all of this weird kinky stuff in these hotel rooms. And I guess he was trying to get high on methamphetamine, and I won't even go into the details of where he stuck the methamphetamine into his body, and it ended up overdosing and killing him. But it was all for a sexual thrill that he did this, and he ended up dying uh, as a result of it. And so when people make lust and, and, and sex their God, uh, they, they, they just become perverted and twisted and, and dark. Uh, it's it's interesting that people worship the intellect, and to this day, people still worship uh, the intellect. And and the reality is is that the more that you study and the more that you learn, the more you realize you don't know because there's still more to learn. 
And so if you make that your lifelong goal to learn everything, to know everything, uh, you're probably not going to know much of anything. You may know a little bit about everything, perhaps, but you won't know much about anything. You'll be very shallow uh, and, and have no depth uh, in really what matters, which is getting to know uh, the God who made you. It's interesting that people that make intellect and education their God, uh, that in the end, uh, when you ask them if they believe in true wisdom, if they believe in the God who created everything, and you want to talk to them about the God of the Bible, they'll say, no, uh, I don't believe in that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm too educated and enlightened to believe in, in a God like the God of the Bible. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm an agnostic. I'm an agnostic. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know whether or not there's a God. You can't know whether or not there's a God. And even in their declaration of agnosticism, it sounds really smart when people say agnostic because atheism, you know, atheism sounds kind of dumb uh, because really, how do you know there's no God? To say there is no God, the atheist says there's no God. Well, how do you know that? That could be a God 50 billion light years away on the other side of the universe. You don't know there's no God. So you can't say definitively, I'm an atheist. Uh, it, it, it falls on its face. But people think it's smart to say, I'm an agnostic. The gnosos of the Greek means knowledge or wisdom to know. And so the, the A is the negative uh, uh, prefix in front of the word, and you have the opposite of knowledge or to not know. The gnosis with the A in front of it is uh, a negative prefix. So you're saying, I don't know. So the agnostic, even though he has made the intellect and he's made education his God, in the end, he makes a proclamation with his mouth that he doesn't know anything about anything. Agnosticism is against knowledge. He's saying, I don't know anything. But you've made education your God. You've spent your whole life studying religions and studying things. And yet you're declaring, you don't know anything. I'm an agnostic. I'm without knowledge. And so all these gods that people worship in the place of God, it's, it's, it's a downward spiral, kind of like uh, when they make a, a God in their own image, that God is less than themselves. You know, it can't walk, it can't talk, it has eyes like they do, it has ears like they do, mouths, but it can't speak, it can't hear, it can't see, it doesn't breathe, it's insensate, there's no life in its breath. Uh, and so you, you make an, a God in your image, it's less than yourself, and then you fall down and you worship it, and then you become like your God. And so it's a degrading, it's a downward spiral because a man or a woman will become like their God. Now, the modern, there, there's all kinds of modern gods that are worshipped, as you know. The Hindus have, I don't know, they used to have three or four million gods. Now I think they have three or four hundred million gods. They keep adding gods, the Hindus. Uh, but they worship all these avatars, they worship gurus, uh, they worship the Christ consciousness and so forth. Uh, and, and so, uh, they, they believe in all of these gods, the Hindus, and they have the little Hindu statues and so forth. Uh, the Buddhists, you know, they have the little chubby Buddhas and they, uh, think the little chubby Buddha is a good luck charm and, you know, they pray to Buddha and so forth and they go into their om and into their meditation and all of this. Uh, and, and they're worshiping, uh, the essence of God, uh, which is everything. Everything is God, the Buddhists believe. Uh, pantheism. The Hindus are polytheistic. Many gods. 
the, uh, the, the Buddhists believe everything is God. The dog, the, the tree, the rock, everything is God. And so in the end, they're actually worshiping themselves. This is why they, when they bow before each other and they do this, which is kind of, we think it's kind of cool when they bow, the namast or namaste, uh, whatever it's called, they're actually bowing to the God that's inside of you. And then you bow to the God that's inside of them. And so they believe that you are God and they believe that I am God. And so they're really worshiping themselves. The Muslims, you know, bless their hearts. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty confused. I, I really do actually enjoy witnessing the Muslims because they're very sincere people. They're very sincere. Most Muslims don't know the first thing about what they actually believe, and they really don't know the Quran, which is their holy book. Uh, but they're very loyal. They're very devoted to their, uh, to their religion and to their God, Allah, who is the moon God, and to his prophet, Muhammad. Uh, we have our modern uh, uh, cults and cult leaders that people worship, Jim Jones and David Koresh and Charles Manson uh, and, and, and Maharish Mahesh Yogi, all these people that people were worshiping here uh, as gods, even in our modern era, in our Western society. You have people that are practicing new age. They're practicing witchcraft like never before. They're practicing the occult. And ultimately, that is worshiping themselves. It's a worship of self. And typically, you know, really all gods can either be boiled down or distilled down to two main forces that people are uh, after. One is power and the other is pleasure. So people either worship a God because they think they're going to get power from this God or because this God is going to give them what they want. They're going to have pleasure from worshiping this God. Probably a third element that's very real is people worship these gods out of fear. A lot of these gods are scary, these Hindu gods and so forth. Allah is scary. Muslims don't even know if they're saved. They have no way to know if they're going to be saved uh, because Allah is, is such a fearsome and wrathful God, and they're scared of their God. So a lot of times they serve out of fear. But, you know, you boil it down, almost everything that people worship uh, is, is, is for pleasure, for power, or out of fear. When Satan came to Jesus, you remember Satan asked Jesus in his temptation in the wilderness to bow down and worship him. And Satan said, if you worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms and the glory of the earth. And Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord thy God and worship him alone. Uh, we shall, you shall have no other gods before me, God says uh, in Exodus. And so uh, Satan ultimately is behind all of these false gods. It's just a deception. He's the one who wants to be worshipped. He's always wanted to be worshipped. He's jealous of God. He wants to be uh, in God's place. Um, Luciferianism, which is very popular today, the worship of Lucifer and Satanism, which is very popular today, is just purely worshiping self, really, because the first law of Satanism is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. So Satan lies to people and says, if you worship me, I'll give you whatever you want. If you worship me, really, you could do whatever you want. There's no rules. Well, the end of that is, is death and hell. God wants first place in our lives. He wants to be preeminent in our lives. And even good things, if it's not one of these gods that we've just mentioned or one of these false religious systems, uh, any, anything can become a god in your life or let's just say an idol to you or to me if it gets in the way of my relationship with God. It becomes an idol. 
Uh, it could be something simple like sports or like recreation, uh, social media. Some people just, they're, they, they live for their social media feeds. They're addicted uh, to social media. It consumes all of their time. Uh, people can make an idol out of their career, out of their jobs. People can make an idol out of their families or out of their spouses or out of their children. Even ministry can become an idol where people are in the ministry not to give God glory, but to receive the praise and the accolades of men, or perhaps because they're naming it and claiming it and the preacher's getting rich and buying himself a new helicopter or something. There's the motives. You know, people can turn anything into a false god. Anything that we put in the place of God will become an idol, and God wants to be first in our lives. It's interesting, really, we only have, you know, really not much to give in this life to, to, to anyone or anything. We have our time, which is limited, you know, three score and ten, four score, maybe 80 years if, if you're fortunate. But really, we're not guaranteed much more than 70 or 75 years. So we only have so much time uh, to give uh, our treasure, that which we have, our possessions, that's what, that which we earn, that which we make. Uh, that, that's another thing that we have to give. And then our talents, that which we are gifted with and gifted to do. So really, man has his, his time, he has his money or his treasure, and he has his talents. And, and really, wherever you're expending the majority of your time, of your treasure, and of your talents, be careful, because that will become a god. That will become an idol. And so you could have good things that just consume your time, your treasure, and your talents, and then you have no room left over for God. God gets the leftovers, but God doesn't want the leftovers. God wants to be preeminent in the lives of his people. He wants to be first, not second. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this in verse 19. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so Jesus just made a very simple statement, but it's a profound statement where your treasure is, your heart will be also. If all your money's invested in real estate, guess what? You're consumed with the real estate market and your rental houses. If all your money's tied up in the stock market, guess what? You're, you're concerned with the stock market. Your heart is in the stock market. Why? Because your treasure's there. And so you're concerned about your treasure. But it's also true that if you're giving your treasure, if you're giving the first fruits to God, you're investing into the church of God, the things of God, the gospel message and proclaiming the good news of the gospel, uh, and you're putting God first in your giving, then you also, uh, your, your heart uh, is going to follow your treasure into the things of God. You're going to be concerned for the church. You're going to be concerned for the work of God because your treasure is invested. And Jesus says that you're actually laying up treasure in heaven, that, that one day you're going to be able to receive uh, the blessings of God even in heaven, not just in this life. There's blessings certainly uh, uh, by giving to God in this life, but uh, who knows the blessings that we're going to get in eternity because Jesus says we're laying treasure up in an eternal bank account that someday God is going to reward us for. But your heart follows your treasure, not the other way around. Uh, your treasure doesn't follow your heart. Your heart follows your treasure, if you think about that. In Matthew chapter 6.33, Jesus said very simply, Seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. If you put God first, he takes care of everything else. If we put God first with our time, give him the first, the best of our time. If we put him first with our treasure, we give him the first fruits of everything he's given to us. And then we put him first with our talents, whatever little talent I may have. Uh, it's still a talent that God gave me. And so I, I have to use it for him to the best of my ability. And as you seek first the kingdom of God, he takes care of everything else. It's just what he does. He says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart in Psalm chapter 37. So if you, if you make the Lord your delight, if you, if you live to please God, he says that, you know, uh, he's going he's gonna to give you the desires of your heart because your desires will then be aligned with his desires. You're not going to want things that are out of his will if you're delighting yourself in the Lord. The psalmist also says, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So if you're walking in a way that's pleasing to God, he, God says, no good thing will I withhold. He's going to give you good things. He's a father. He loves us. He's jealous for us, for our good. He wants the best for you. And he wants the best for me. But so often, we are pulled away by the gods of this world to worship them. In Luke chapter 14, we read this. Jesus says this. This is probably one of the more controversial teachings or statements of Jesus. Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus says, And if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or his mother his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Boy, you talk about a narrow road. You talk about a straight gate. You talk about a hard way. This is it. Jesus isn't saying, of course, uh, to hate anybody, but he's saying, in comparison to your love and your worship and your adoration of God, your, all of your other loves should even look like hate. It's not that you don't love your parents or your kids or your spouse, but compared to your love for God, your love for God is so total, so complete. You're all in with your love for God that, uh, you know, it, it looks to others almost like, uh, that, that, you know, that, that your, your passion is Him. And so he's, he's making a radical statement to make the point that you have to put God first. You have to put God first ahead of every other human relationship, every other familiar relationship or family relationship. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. And then he says this, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, ultimately, God wants to be first in our lives. He has to be first in our lives. Otherwise, we're no better than the children of Israel, giving God the leftovers, putting him on the back burner, and going after the gods of this world, whether it's power, pleasure, lust, knowledge, whatever. 
that people are worshiping. You remember Jesus asked Peter when he was restoring him, he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? And we don't know if he was talking about the fish that Peter had just caught or whether he was talking about the other guys that were in the boat after Jesus was raised on the Sea of Galilee and he was restoring Peter. Uh, whatever Jesus was referring to, uh, he, you know, obviously, uh, Peter should love Jesus more than anything. He should love Jesus first, and so should we. Do you love me more than these? Whatever these are, whether it's your job, he was a fisherman, whether it's your friends, whether it's your family, God wants to be first. Do you love me, Peter, more than these? Again, as we saw in Psalm 135, a man becomes like that which he worships. A man becomes like his God. And if you want to worship the gods of this world, you're going to become less and less. You're going to become degraded. You're going to be dumb, deaf, and blind to the truth because these gods that you worship are dumb, deaf, and blind. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. And those who worship them will become like them. However, the good news is, is that a man becomes like his God. So if we worship the God of the Bible, what does that mean? It means we're going to become more and more like him. We're going to become more and more like our Savior. As we worship Jesus, as we get to know him and fall in love with him and serve him and put him first and deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, we become like our God. We become like Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 22, in verse 19, we read this. Jesus said, show me the tax money. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Think about that for a minute. Caesar's image was on the coin and so he says, give to Caesar, you know, Caesar printed all this money. It belongs to him. He issued it, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But he says, but give to God what is God's. And I think it's interesting that Jesus is talking about whose image is on the coin because we were all created in God's image, guys. Genesis 1.27, Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. And so God created him, male and female, he created them in his image. And so whose image is on you? Whose image is on me? It's God's image. We're made in the image of God. And so we are to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, the things of this world, but give to God what is God's. You see, you have God's image in you. He made you in his image. And so we belong to him. Give to God what is God's. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are to be a living sacrifice. What, what is it? Uh, that we should hold back from God after he's done so much for us. Nothing. We should be all in. What does a prophet, a man, Jesus said, if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There's nothing of this world that's worth your soul and worth eternity. 
So when we understand this, when we recognize this, that there's always going to be these other pressures and temptations and all these other gods that are calling us to kind of pull us away from our relationship with the true and living God, we have to remember to put God first and we have to be a living sacrifice and we have to not be conformed by the gods of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Transformed into what? Into Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. To become like Christ is our goal, guys. To become like our God. More and more like Jesus. A living sacrifice. Not my will, but thy will be done. I surrender all. We sing those songs. That's what it's all about. About putting God first. Guys, we don't know how much time we have left. We just don't know. We don't know how much time we have left before the Lord comes back for His church, but we're getting close. We know we're getting close. And so... uh while it's daylight, let's, let's work for the Lord. For the fields are, are, are ripe. They're white unto harvest. Pray uh, that the Lord of the, of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest. The fields are white. People are searching. People are looking at false gods. They're studying Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, all these other religions, witchcraft. And, and really, uh, they're becoming dumb, deaf, and blind to the truth because they're becoming like the gods. So, so God wants us to snatch them out of the fire, but we first have to be those who ourselves are living for God, living sacrifices. If a man becomes like his God, a woman becomes like her God, well, what does that look like? Well, our God is, is meek and lowly and humble of heart. Our God is compassionate and forgiving and gracious and merciful. Our God is honest and truthful. He does not lie. Our God is courageous and strong. Our God is kind and forgiving and loving. Aren't those things that you would like to become? I know I would. I'd like to become more like Jesus. And so it's not that complicated. It's pretty simple, really. We have to put off all the other gods. We have to cast down all of our other idols, anything that's in the place of God. And we have to restore our fellowship with God by putting Him first, surrendering ourselves. And then God does that work supernaturally through the Holy Spirit and through His Word in transforming us into the image of Christ. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, Email us at C-O-A-H podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.